This is a Suno India production and you are listening to Indian Economy Explained. The crisis for finding and holding steady jobs has become steep over the past decade. It only worsened after the COVID-19 pandemic. Freelance work or gigs as they are called have become the way many people earn their livelihood. The sector's growth is largely attributed to the rise of automation and incorporation of artificial intelligence AI, which have led to the creation of more project-based jobs as opposed to the conventional full-time sources of employment. Boston Consulting Group's report Unlocking the Potential of the Gig Economy in India released in March 2021 states that the gig economy has the potential to serve up to 90 million jobs and adds 1.25% to India's gross domestic product. Though the sector produces jobs, it raises many questions about social security nets for laborers themselves and unsteady income. Also, the kind of practices followed by the companies related to cost-cutting raise make these jobs precarious hi i'm kunika balhotra research and communications officer for suno india and your host for this new episode of indian economy explained to understand more about the gig economy i spoke with ambika tandon ambika is a senior policy officer at the center for internet and society she works on the intersections between technology and gender we will put all the references in the podcast in our show notes So to start off with the most basic question could you explain to our listeners what gig economy is what is gig work and if you could tell us when did the gig economy gain significance in the country so uh, the gig economy is uh, i mean just to start with is difficult to define but uh, the most broad definition would be any uh, sort of work that is provided by a digital platform or is mediated by a digital platform and what i mean by mediated is that the the platform is playing a role where um it is providing a job opportunity or uh, not necessarily a job but a short term uh, task or a gig uh, quote unquote the the customer and um a, a worker are in this case matched by uh, the platform and um, there are other salient features so for example workers that are in the gig economy do not have uh, a contract as such they largely work in short term uh, tasks uh, and you know the easiest example to understand is in the on demand economy with uber ola zomato swiggy these are the sort of jobs that um, are you know super quick short term um, the the contract agreement is just that of a terms of a sort of service that is given through an app that the worker agrees to it's again been difficult to estimate because of uh, a lot of companies not disclosing the number of workers they are working with for example and there are other um, challenges as well in estimating the size of the gig economy because there are one worker is working with several um, different companies so uh, there could be of course overlaps uh, even if the companies were to disclose uh, the number of workers that they are working with so um but that being said there has been a lot of growth uh, quite visibly across sectors uh, in some sectors it's a bit more nascent um, like in agriculture health even uh, manufacturing these are some of the sectors uh, where it's uh, still sort of growing in the last one or two years 
and uh, in some it's become mainstream uh, like with logistics food delivery transport e-commerce these have become uh, you know in the retail sector these have become quite mainstream um, and we can see that these trends are here to stay another important feature is that it has started growing in smaller cities and towns so um, uh, say 5 years back or 6 years back we would still see uh, companies like over only in the larger you know metropolitan cities but now if you look at the uh, number of cities that uh, you know an over is operating in for example india has the highest number of cities outside of the us uh, that over uh, operates in so um, those are some of the key trends uh, and to uh, give you know a, a statistic that uh, i just pulled out from a report that was done by the boston consulting group uh, it was just published last month um so they estimate that uh, gig work is set to triple over the next 3 to 4 years and it's currently they estimate it at around 8 million jobs and um they say that it's set to triple to about 24 million jobs in the next 3 to 4 years contributing to about 1 uh, 1 and 1/2% uh, to india's gdp so could you also briefly talk about uh, the advantages and disadvantages of freelance work or gigs particularly at a time where it is very difficult to find a full time job gig work is part of uh, a trend where we are seeing that jobs have started to become more um, contractual more and more sectors and companies are moving towards this sort of informal work or freelance work as opposed to uh, you know having full time employees so that being said it does have uh, potential for uh, creating employment where uh, other sectors may not be able to do so and uh, it has become a route into slightly higher wages for even workers who uh, have been classified as lower skilled uh, so for example when when migrant workers who were largely earlier employed in sectors like uh, construction or uh, with smes in the informal economy those workers have been able to move into slightly higher paying jobs because of low entry barriers so uh, in food delivery for example workers would only need to have uh, access to a two wheeler and uh, they would be able to onboard themselves very quickly onto the platform so in that sense there have been a lot of positive developments that the gig economy has brought for um, youth when uh, in uh, it is largely a young workforce that that is uh, in the gig economy so uh, but that being said there are a number of challenges as well so uh, to start with it is completely um, informal so uh, that means that companies define workers as independent contractors and um, they don't uh, tend to provide any uh, benefits apart from uh, you know say accident insurance uh, which have also been um, you know pushed for by workers over the past couple of years but and, and also very importantly workers do not have uh, any way to negotiate uh, with the company so for example if you are an independent contractor with a company that might be slightly you know more flexible in terms of uh, their contractual arrangements then you have some space to negotiate as either a collective or as an individual uh, on the uh, part of the worker but as gig companies are largely uh, you know undertaking something called algorithmic management which is that 
you know, all of the management processes as far as possible. These companies try to automate, and there are there's a standard uh, terms of service that each uh, worker would have to agree to while joining uh, the gig economy. So uh, there's no safety net as such. There's no um, security in terms of how many hours of work you may be able to get. Uh, a lot of workers we have seen spend long hours just searching for work that can be quite strenuous uh, as well. And uh, of course, during COVID and even pre-COVID, we also see uh, a lot of surveillance of workers. So there's a lot of uh, data being collected about them and a lot of work that they have to put in in terms of you know taking selfies constantly, sharing their location constantly. Uh, so that you know has health risks uh, as well as workers spend sort of longer hours on the road. So yeah, those are some of the sort of you know broad challenges as well as opportunities that the the gig economy presents. So you talked about the challenges in the gig economy. Could you also tell me what does it mean for the workers in terms of job security and stability in the gig economy? Also, if you could explain this with some case studies. Right. Yeah. So. Uh, you know, as, as I mentioned, uh, there the, the uh, idea of job security as such doesn't exist in the gig economy because what workers are doing is that they're going task to task. So, for example, if you look at uh, freelance work, a lot of workers, they have to uh, constantly be uh, working through, uh, you know, longer hours during the night because a lot of employment opportunities, well, not employment opportunities, but a lot of tasks are actually uh, open during the night because a lot of employers are based in western countries so um, there is a time uh, gap between workers and employers and because of that you have to spend long hours looking for work during the night and you have to be really quick you know when you're trying to respond to uh, jobs there's a lot of pressure on workers to uh, quote lower um, fee to, to you know respond quickly to a high number of jobs to be able to get even a single task in sort of freelance work. Um, and a lot is dependent on ratings. And this is true for, you know, tasks across uh, sectors. So even if you look at food delivery, for example, Zomato gives badges to workers and um, the allocation of tasks is dependent on how high your ratings are, what badges you have. Uh, for companies like Uber, they will uh, automatically remove drivers if, they are below a certain rating, which is quite high. It's around uh, a five or you know four point nine. So, in that sense, uh, uh, yeah, job security is not really a concept that you know exists within the gig economy. And the pressure to spend a lot of time, which is not remunerated at all, just looking for work, is really high. Also, in a report, it was mentioned that seventy lakh people were out of work in April. With this unemployment affecting the informal sector workers or the gig workers in such a market situation. What do you think could be the possible ways to alleviate the struggle of the informal sector workers? Right. So, uh, you know, to start with a lot of uh, civil society as well as you know, policy recommendations have uh, come up during the last year. And uh, the idea is to try and push for uh, universal social protection. Uh, so, for example, universalizing the public distribution system is something that the Right to Food campaign has been pushing for, uh, universalizing healthcare, uh, developing more and more capacity during, in uh, primary and tertiary healthcare, as of course we've seen during um, the, the pandemic as well. Um, and also having 
uh, initiatives like income support, uh, pensions, all of these sort of social protections being uh, universalized across the informal uh, sector and bringing more and more workers across uh, sectors, including the gig economy, into the fold of these protections. So with the gig economy, it's slightly easier to do this than in other sectors in the informal economy. And why that's the case is because there are large companies that actually uh, have workers that are working with them uh, full time. So uh, if you uh, ask a worker, they might be spending a lot their entire uh, sort of week uh, on a company like Zomato, for example. And uh, in that case, they are essentially uh, an employee. Uh, even though they are being categorized as an independent contractor. So um, the government has taken some steps to do this uh, through the Code on Social Security. And um, so it's uh, really important to try and implement that as soon as possible so all uh, workers can be brought within the fold of these social protections. So, so yeah, I think it, it is a bit um, different when it comes to the gig economy as compared to the informal economy. Also, because the uh, parts of the gig economy have been able to function um, at at some capacity, if not earlier capacities during lockdowns and curfews as well, right? With a lot of uh, delivery workers, transport workers being labeled uh, sort of quote unquote essential workers, so they have been able to keep functioning, although uh, capacities are much lower, and they are now facing uh, health risks because uh, they don't have ad- adequate protections. Um, such as health insurance, PPE, uh, kits, etc. So all of these um, forms of support also are very important uh, for companies to be providing. Like you already mentioned, so with the rising cases in the second wave, have there been any provisions to safeguard the health of these workers? So uh, some companies have, uh, actually most companies have announced some measures, uh, you know, including uh, providing PPE kits to workers. There are some small hospitalization covers that they are offering. Uh, accident insurance has been there in uh, the sort of jobs like delivery and uh, transportation that we have been talking about. Some companies have also announced a paid leave for two weeks. But the problem is that uh, a lot of these measures are not reflecting on the ground. So these announcements have been coming in since last year um, and Fair Work Foundation also released a report uh, that was sort of looking at the number of uh, measures that have been announced by, by companies. So companies have been proactive, but the problem is that these uh, have reflected largely on at the level of you know rhetoric or uh, you know announcing these measures as opposed to actually ensuring that each worker is able to get access to all of these. So for example, um, one of the challenges that has come up is that uh, these claims are to be made again in an automated manner. And uh, they are easy to be rejected uh, for for each claim that you're making for uh, hospitalization insurance, for example, or for uh, paid leave. You do have to undergo a complex process of uh, uploading your documents, those being verified um, by the company. And often workers' uh, claims are being rejected even uh, when those are genuine cases. So a lot of those have now come to unions and uh, uh, organizations like the Indian Federation of App-Based Transport Workers, IFAT, um, they have been quite actively uh, looking to ensure that workers are getting uh, access. So there have been several cases that have come up in this wave 
as well where uh, workers or drivers have even uh, lost their lives and they have not been compensated at all by the company uh, because of the fact that it's very difficult to um, make these claims so uh, i i think it goes back to that problem of algorithmic management and automated systems where it's very difficult for workers to you know file appeals um and it's very difficult for workers to actually get through um the their demands because of the fact that they are not dealing with a human at all it's just a system that if you know if it decides you're not who you say you are it can reject you if uh, you say that your your if it decides that your claim is not legitimate then that can very easily be rejected right also has there been any government regulation in this in this gig economy sector one of the uh, positive developments uh, that came last year was uh, the passing of the code on social security this is the only one that recognizes gig and platform workers so the positive uh, development is that uh, all of the uh, platform workers now are eligible uh, once this code is implemented for uh, social security uh benefits to be provided by companies uh, and the government so uh, there will be a contribution of up to 5% by companies and uh, they have to provide the data and also enroll ensure that their uh, workers are enrolled in these schemes so that is definitely uh, you know we are headed in the right direction but the problem is still that we haven't gone as far as uh, you know recognizing that a lot of these workers are actually employees uh and this is not um unprecedented you know there, there have been uh, several judgments that have come out in the uk for example in the us um in france in other countries that have uh, been supportive of uh, giving employment benefits as well to um gig workers especially when they are full time workers so we could set a sort of criteria to understand who are the workers who are actually full time as opposed to those who are just you know doing these jobs on and off and give um, workers the opportunity to be able to choose if they want an employment model or a flexible work model because the flexible work model is also you know it's here to stay it's not uh, it's not bad per se you know it is giving opportunities to people who may want uh, extra income support outside of um, you know other employment that they may have but for workers who are in this full time uh, i think there needs to be some recognition of um, their employment and also to recognize uh, the unions and collectives they have a lot of these are not uh, registered unions they have not been given the status of registered unions so uh, that is also uh, you know an important step that needs to be taken to support workers uh, in the gig economy it's very uh, difficult for workers uh to sort of negotiate and appeal if there are false cases that are being filed against them of various different kinds uh, so for example with um uh, one of the uh, cases that have come out has been you know drivers making allegations that uh, platforms are shutting their ids down uh, or they are not allowing them to work uh, if they have been seen to be participating in protests uh so uh, companies have also confirmed this in some cases uh, over the past couple of years we've seen a lot of public demonstrations uh by uh, gig workers collectives and companies have sort of clamped down on these and they've asked uh, uh you know workers to leave the platform they forced workers to leave the platform if they have been participating in these protests so uh we see that workers have less and less you know room to negotiate um and 
companies are sort of making these arbitrary decisions with you know no room for workers to either appeal or to exercise their rights in any capacity so uh, we do need you know alongside uh, labor rights we also need a focus on workers data rights to be able to um, you know ensure that workers have routes to grievance redressals workers have the right to control their data if uh, you know they they wish to exercise these rights right also with the declining female labor force participation in the country could you tell us about the impact of the gig economy on the female participation in the workforce there was there was a lot of expectation from the gig economy that uh, it will bring some positive developments in terms of bringing more women into uh, paid work and why uh, that is is because um, it does offer flexible opportunities that uh, and workers can get work from within their home if they have digital access if they have access to laptops or phones for example you can get freelance work uh, from within your home so some of these have reflected on the ground so uh, india has the largest freelance workforce outside of the us and uh, a quarter of that is women uh, which is slightly uh, lower than you know other countries but still for the indian uh, economy if you compare it to other sectors um in terms of female participation it is still quite high um as compared to you know more traditional sectors like uh, manufacturing for example but it has been you know there are a lot of challenges uh, involved as well the first is of course there's a large uh, gender gap when it comes to um, digital access so uh, for example uh, it's around uh, 50% for mobile internet which means that you know less than half of the number of uh, women are actually uh, using digital technology as compared to men so because of that uh, the these opportunities are not accessible to a large portion of women uh, in the country still and we also see a lot of occupational segregation which means that the uh, jobs are uh, segregated by gender and uh, these reflect uh, in the same way that they do in the traditional economy so for example if we see a large number of women workers who are domestic workers for example traditionally then this is the case in the gig economy also uh, we see uh, a large number of women workers that are concentrated in jobs like domestic work care work uh, beauty uh, you know in with services like urban company but you don't see enough women drivers uh, women food delivery workers and these are the sectors that have actually been growing so uh, because of that uh, this occupational segregation is really hurting uh, women workers because they don't have um, the kind of skills uh, as well as cultural barriers um, in terms of the perception of you know these jobs being more masculine and the beauty and you know care jobs being more feminine uh, because of that uh there's again uh, this sort of gap that comes up uh in the gig economy and in terms of covid impact as well uh we see that uh the impact has been very harsh on uh migrant women workers as compared to uh men because uh men have been able to recover they've been able to come back but uh women for various reasons uh you know for uh, having to take care of families or uh, the fact that there are lesser opportunities and those are likely to go to men who are um, you know more uh, there are more men who are primary 
their donors for their uh, family so because of that all of these uh, opportunities whatever opportunities have come up in the economic recovery have largely gone to uh, men so this is you know the gay economy could have provided uh, potential opportunities for women migrant workers as well but we haven't actually seen that uh, on the ground so you already mentioned how the covid pandemic impacted the women gig workers um could you also tell me what has been the impact on the of the covid 19 pandemic on the working conditions of the gig workers so um you know the first thing is of course there's been a reduction in income um because of the number of opportunities that are available those have gone down so a large number of workers are competing for a small number of tasks um because people are now scared uh, to you know order in home for example or um they uh, people are not using transportation as much um people are not uh, the at home services that companies like urban company were providing those have seen uh, a significant reduction as well and uh, after the first couple of months of the pandemic even though there was a big hit in those months uh, there was a large recovery so for companies like zomato they uh, you know they recently they had uh, done filed for their ipo and uh, so they released um, data on uh, that is you know allowing us to scrutinize uh, their growth over the past couple of years and uh, we see that uh, recovery was actually you know it went to pre pandemic levels and even more in the last quarter of uh, 2020 but this is again taking a hit uh, this year uh, as the second wave begins so uh of course there's been a reduction in income and uh, more pressure on workers to try and compete for the same number of tasks but um uh, also workers have been absorbing a lot of the health risks so like i said companies have been uh, you know trying to announce they've been announcing uh, measures but those have not reflected on the ground so a lot of workers are actually they don't have access to ppe kits they don't have access to um health insurance uh, to actually be able to um, protect themselves as they put themselves at risk during the pandemic so in the last um, month or so uh, ifat re- uh, released figures around uh, you know hundreds of workers actually testing positive or even you know losing their lives to the pandemic so uh, because of their status of sort of frontline workers they have been able to uh, keep working which is a good development um but they you know the trade off is that they they've been uh, facing these health risks and um because of the fact that these gigs are more you know task based and there's no one employer who would actually be able to support you employers uh, have not you know customers have not stepped up as such to try and uh, fill some of these gaps and it should be companies who are actually uh labeling them as independent contractors who should be uh, ensuring that all of these uh, benefits are being um, availed by each worker who needs them but that has not been the case so uh, i think there's a, a big need for um, companies to respond to demands that workers have been making for over a year now and to uh, ensure that each of the each worker who is you know putting themselves at risk and uh, fulfilling these essential services is actually uh, protected please rate our podcast and leave a comment if you like it underreported and underrepresented stories can become mainstream only if it reaches more people 
so please support us by visiting our contributing page on our website sunoindia.in or follow us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. 